Good morning. Chicken Little was in the woods one day when an acorn fell on her head. It scared her so much she trembled all over and half of her feathers fell out. She started shouting, help, the sky is falling, I must tell the king. So she ran in great fright to tell the king. Along the way she met Ducky Lucky. He asked, where are you going, Chicken Little? Ducky Lucky asked, she yelled, oh help, the sky is falling. And Ducky Lucky asked, but how do you know? She replied, I saw it with my own eyes, I heard it with my own ears, and part of it fell on my head. Ducky Lucky yelled, this is terrible, just terrible. We'd better hurry up. So they ran as fast as they could. Along the way, they met Henny Penny and then Goosey Lucy. And before long, they also met Turkey Lurkey, strutting back and forth. Each one wanted to know, just where are you going in such a frenzy? And how do you know the sky is falling? Each time, Chicken Little explained the terrible thing that had occurred. So eventually, the chorus sounded like this. Chicken Little screamed, help, help. Ducky Lucky quacked, the sky is falling. Henny Penny shouted, we're running for our lives. Goosey Lucy yelled, and we're running to tell the king. Turkey Lurkey added, oh dear, I always suspected the sky would fall someday. I'd better go with you. And they ran with all their might until they met Foxy Loxy, who slyly asked, and how do you know the sky is falling? Chicken Little shouted, I saw it with my own eyes. I heard it with my own ears. And part of it fell on my head. Foxy Loxy said, I see, well, then follow me, and I will show you the way to the king. So he led Chicken Little, Ducky Lucky, Henny Penny, Goosey Lucy, and Turkey Lurkey. Across the field and through the woods, he led them straight to his den, and they never saw the king to tell him the sky is falling. Despite this fable's disturbing ending, one can't help but shake her head at the onslaught of fear caused by an acorn plop on a head. But then I wonder, what are the acorns in our lives that cause a tremble, a shout, a wave of fear through our bodies and through our communities? Where does our fear and anxiety come from and how do we as individuals or better yet, as a faith community, deal with it. Well, I lived into this text in the, in the past few weeks when I realized that my sermon, which I came to see would be about anxiety, was actually giving me anxiety. <laughs> now, I don't think for one minute that preaching-based anxiety compares to what one might experience the people who are receiving these school kits, what this kind of anxiety is, or life-threatening health issues, or violence. But as a starting point, the Luke 12 passage speaks into the daily grind of how to live within our bodies and how to engage with the world around us. How to be intentional, <clears throat> yet free. Verses 32 to 40 
are a set of verses that overlap what many scholars parse into two sections, with the first one ending at verse 34. Before that section, a man asked Jesus to help him secure his inheritance from his brother. And then Jesus goes into a parable about a man who frantically builds more and more storage barns to house his abundant crop. And then we get into the do not worry section, ending with those three verses we started with today. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That set of three verses is the tail end of what one commentary titled, More Important Things to Be Anxious About. So if a scholarly commentary labeled it as such, then no wonder this passage, which is sometimes used to relieve anxiety, can do just the opposite. By listening to Jesus' words, we might end up overthinking them to the point that there is no rest for the weary, no freedom for the ruminator, and the oasis of the worry-free, generous lives we are meant to live actually turns out to be a storage barn for anxiety and fear. The spirit of Chicken Little lives on. The acorns are ominous. So what does that mean if a passage causes the exact opposite of what it seems to intend? I guess that could mean one of at least two things. I or we are, are reading are not following the instructions, or we're in need of a fresh perspective on the passage. So then the second chunk of what we read today, or what we heard today, shed some helpful light on these verses. Here we are prompted to consider preparedness. Put simply, you might say it's a charge to make sure your ducks are in a row, if we're keeping with the bird theme today. What struck me as reassuring in this, though, was that the passage refers to an alert and expectant group of people. It's always good to be reminded that it's not strictly an individual journey, but that we are in this together. Scholar Justo Gonzalez noted that there are three different roles being played out in this group of six verses. First, you have slaves awaiting their master's return. Second, you have the master serving the slaves a meal. And third, you have what seems to be maybe the same group of people being spoken to as owners of a house that they must manage well. So within a five-verse, five or six-verse span, the passage moves from preparation as slaves in God's house to being served as a guest at God's table to having one's own house to care for, likely a symbol of one's own life. It turns out to be this beautiful metaphor that moves from anxious preparation to a welcome table, followed by the opportunity to practice within one's own house. With that, Gonzalez concluded, we are to manage things in view of the future we expect. But still, how do we deal with the acorn plops on our heads 
while managing those spiritual houses and faith communities without giving in to pervasive anxiety. Recently, I learned a new word from a t-shirt that I thought was really beautiful, bayanihan. It's a Filipino term taken from the word bayan, which means nation or country, town or community. And the word literally means to be a bayan or to be a community. It's kind of an active word. The concept is basic and nothing new for Anabaptists, right? I think Anabaptists in North America have maintained some of this concept despite the societal push toward individualism and self-sufficiency. But I think we should always be learning more and more about community me what community means from various global standpoints. I learned that this concept of bayanihan is probably most clearly and impressively displayed in the old tradition of neighbors helping a relocating family by getting enough volunteers to carry their whole house, literally moving it to its new location. One site said it's kind of like the barn raising idea. Or maybe it's like helping Todd, Danette, and Jasmine move their house or move their household items to a new home. And despite coming through a few years of so much change in this congregation, you displayed that spirit of Bayanihan. But there's a problem here, because change and adversity can also bring about the chicken little in us. Chicken Little and company exemplify a sort of chaotic and frantic Bayanihan of sorts. Interestingly, they each ask Chicken Little, well, how do you know the sky is falling? She assures them she knows, and they believe her. There is a level of trust, but there's also a lack of critical thought about the matter. Maybe Goosey Lucy could have asked, well, what did this sky look like? Tell us more. The acorns do need to be taken seriously. They are not to be written off. Depending on the force or the quantity of what gives us anxiety, they can have a severe effect. Perhaps there are some of us who feel stretched to the point of exhaustion, or anxiety is something we have dealt with to a serious degree for a very long time. It doesn't just go away. Maybe the world does feel like it's falling apart, on a global or on a personal level. Anxiety and fear are painful to experience and they need to be understood. But the beauty of community is that ideally, somebody out there will be able to ask the right questions to say, tell me about that acorn or that walnut or coconut that is affecting you so deeply and negatively. And another power of community is that ideally we'll also challenge certain attitudes, behaviors, injustices by asking questions and by advocating for those who don't have a voice. But besides asking questions, how do we dispel anxiety and fear? I found some advice for this on an, in an unlikely place. The Perseids Meteor Shower Observer's Guide written by an earth sciences teacher, David Dickinson. He says, just what will 2013 bring? 
There's one truism in meteor observing. You definitely won't see anything if you don't get out and observe. Meteor shower observing requires no equipment, just clear skies and patience. Watch in the early hours of dawn when the rates are highest. Meteors can appear anywhere in the sky. Pair up with a friend or two and watch in opposite directions to increase your meteor spotting chances. So if we put that next to the Luke passage, we might get something like this. Get out and observe, says Dickinson. Be like those who are waiting, says Jesus. You don't need a lot of equipment, says Dickinson. Sell your possessions, says Jesus. It helps to have other people observing alongside you, says Dickinson. Be like those, plural. Blessed are those, plural. He will serve them, plural, says Jesus. So here we are together right now in church, maybe tomorrow watching meteor showers, maybe the next day reading about a new epidemic or a terrorist threat or hearing about something we shouldn't have been eating all these years. But here we are, a community, Bayanihan, doing the best we can to be observant, to not be anxious in the face of adversity or in the face of unfounded threats coming at us through the media. Here we are trying to keep real treasure in perspective. And when the anxiety finds its way back, because it often does, our companions in this way of Jesus will ask us, just how do you know that the sky is falling? What does it look like? They may help us find our way again, simply being there side by side, or by asking the right questions face to face, or by observing this falling sky while back to back for a fuller view. Instead of, the sky is falling, maybe we can say, would you look at that, Henny Penny came along at just the right time so I didn't have to face this alone. Or, Wow, Ducky Lucky just asked me the right question to get me to see this differently. Or the responses might be, yes, God is still moving among us. Or, yes, we are learning to deal with these acorns. Or even, look, the sky is stunning. If you do go out to observe the meteor shower peak tomorrow night, let it sink in that even if the sky is falling, we have this active bayanihan to turn to and a common goal that grows out of a treasure that we have in God. This Advent poem, sorry, wrong season, but this Advent poem by Jan Richardson speaks to this way of living through fear and living expectantly. Advent is really all the time, isn't it? May it, place, may it bless the bodily houses we live in, spilling beyond us to affect our communities. At the edges of our borders, you wait, and at our territorial lines, 
you linger. Because the place where we touch beyond our boundaries is where you take your delight. And when we learn to read the landscape of our fears, and when we come to know the terrain of every sorrow, then, we, then will we turn our fences into bridges and our borders into paths of peace. Amen. Peace be with you.